Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. I'm so glad you're able to be here with us this morning to worship together. Thanks, Drew, for reading the passage for us. And this morning's message is going to mark the last message in our short series on Barnabas. And I hope that you have gotten a lot of encouragement out of this series Uh, I've always wanted to preach on Barnabas because he is such a beautiful picture of that unsung hero who is not remembered well by history, but is really celebrated in heaven because of the impact he made on God's kingdom. And and I hope that that will be the spirit that's in many of us, that we don't need to be remembered or known, but we do want to make a difference in the lives of other people for the sake of Jesus. Jesus. This morning, I want to focus on Acts 15, verses 36 to 41, and this is probably the episode for which Barnabas is best remembered in Scripture. It speaks of the time when um, he had to speak up for a friend who had done something really regrettable. And I think almost every one of us in our church has been at that place where we've stood at a fork in the road and faced two different choices or paths. And if we're honest, at that fork in the road, on that occasion, we chose poorly. Maybe we said yes when we really should have said no. Or maybe we said no when we really should have said yes. Maybe we quit or exited when we should have stayed at it. Or maybe we stayed at something long after we should have quit. You know, we come to regard decisions like that uh, as failures. And failures usually lead to regret. My favorite definition of regret is clarity when it's too late to make a difference, but not too late to learn a lesson. Regret can be a powerfully destructive force in a person's life, but regret can also be a great teacher that helps us gain wisdom over the years. And this morning's message, this story that we're going to look at today, is a story of regret and redemption. Barnabas and Paul enjoyed really fruitful ministry in Antioch. And that's where we left them last week in Acts chapter 11, is they were doing a wonderful ministry in Antioch, discipling this new church full of Gentile converts. And they were assisted in this work by a young man named John Mark, who happened to be Barnabas' cousin. He was a young man who grew up in a wealthy home of privilege, and uh, he was most likely led to Christ by the witness of the Apostle Peter. And he had, by this point, when we meet John Mark, he had already proved himself in the Christian community as a very capable worker and a leader in training. So when the Lord called Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey, to spread the gospel and plant churches throughout Asia Minor, the church commissioned them, and Paul and Barnabas decided to bring their trusty assistant, John Mark, along. But in Acts 13.13, we read this, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. See, very early on in that missionary journey, we read that for whatever reason, John Mark left the team. 
we don't know exactly why. No details are offered to us. But what we do know is that his leaving them at Perga to return to Jerusalem left Paul and Barnabas to do the work without his help for the rest of the journey. In Acts 15, where we begin our text this morning, we read that sometime later, and we're not sure exactly how long, but a significant period of time had passed, and, and the Spirit of God prompted Paul to have this great idea. Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the Word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Follow-up is always good in ministry. And so Barnabas was absolutely on board. He said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. But in the next couple verses, we find that Barnabas makes a very unexpected suggestion. He suggests that they take John Mark along the second time with them to be their helper. And Paul pushes back pretty strongly against that suggestion. Now, when we first read in Acts 13, 13 of John Mark's decision to leave them, we have no idea why he left. Maybe it could have been a totally legitimate reason and everyone understood and was cool with it. But as Paul explains why he doesn't want to take John Mark the second time, he reveals something important. He says that it was because John Mark deserted them on their first missionary journey. At a time when they needed his help, when he left, Paul counted it as a desertion as an abandonment, and left them to do the work without his help. And so Paul doesn't have a lot of confidence in this young man. He doesn't appreciate the decision he'd made, and maybe even considers it selfish and immature and irresponsible. In Acts 15, 39-40, the next couple verses, we read that they had such a sharp disagreement that they ended up parting company. Barnabas took Mark, and Paul chose Silas, and they formed two teams and went their separate ways. There are times when Christians, even Christian leaders, simply cannot come to an agreement on a matter. Both may have very strong reasons for why they have taken their particular position, but they cannot seem to get the other side to see their point of view. Barnabas and Paul had such a sharp disagreement over the matter of taking John Mark with them, that they ended up parting company over it. And that's a pretty significant decision to make. Uh, it shows that even after the best efforts, there are times when people simply cannot agree on an outcome or decision together. And they may both stand on very strong reasons why. That doesn't always mean that in every disagreement, both sides are equally valid, both sides are correct. It, but it does mean there are cases where an argument could be made for either side, and if we are absolute about our position, we can end up destroying a relationship over a, a disagreement. I think there's great beauty in watching Barnabas take this strong stand on John Mark's behalf. Now, he doesn't deny that John Mark failed them. And I don't think we need to do that to believe in a person to give them a second chance is to act as if their original mistake didn't happen or they had no choice. Sometimes we can just openly admit, yeah, that person totally failed. They blew it. But you see Barnabas take the position of giving grace. He decides to give this young man another chance to redeem himself. This is a picture of what grace is. I think a great definition of grace is that it is undeserved mercy or favor. It's giving someone the benefit of the doubt 
or a forgiveness or release or even leniency which they don't deserve. And that last part is really important because if they have earned it, it's not grace. Grace is most visible and most like God when we give it to someone who clearly does not deserve it and has not earned it. In this picture of Barnabas showing grace to John Mark, we observe a few important things about what grace is like or what it requires. One of the first lessons that I see here is that grace requires faith. You know, as Christians, we should believe that people can change. If we don't believe that, what's the point, right? But here's the thing. Our faith is not in people's ability to change themselves. Our faith is in God's ability to change people. Think about even those things we want to change in ourselves and how hard it is to change even ourselves. If there's anyone in this world you have some control over, it's you. And yet I find I can't even change me in some of those places where I deeply want to change. So our faith is not in people changing. Our faith is in God being able to change. If Barnabas showed grace towards John Mark just because he had faith in John Mark, that would have just been a roll of the dice. He has no guarantee that this young man isn't going to repeat his error, put his thumb in his mouth, go home again. Who knows why he left, but it's clear that it was too much for him and he did not want to stay in the work. And how is Barnabas to know that John Mark has grown up enough in that interim to make a better choice this time? He didn't know. There was no guarantee. But Barnabas had faith, first of all, that it would please and honor God more if he showed mercy to this young man. So he knew this, that he had no outcomes guaranteed, but he knew that he had this faith that God would be more honored and pleased if he showed mercy and gave John Mark a second chance. And he also knew and had faith that God could use that mercy and grace to change John Mark's life and to restore him. So grace requires faith. We also see that grace requires restraint. I'm sure that Paul was not the only one who was disappointed by John Mark's abandonment. In that team, it's very clear that even though Barnabas had prominence first, uh, in that team of Paul and Barnabas, it was Paul and then Barnabas. So that if John Mark is no longer there to carry the bags, then I guess Barnabas had to carry all the bags for Paul. And so it was this idea that um, it cost Barnabas just as much when John Mark left them as it cost Paul. And it's really hard to see the weakness and failure in another person and resist the temptation to stand in judgment over them. I find one of the hardest things in life is to look at someone else's failure and not judge them in my heart. Here's the other thing though. Barnabas is not just showing grace and restraint towards John Mark. He's showing incredible grace and restraint towards Paul. Because Paul was only accepted by the Christian community because Barnabas staked his entire reputation and and his place in the community to vouch for Paul, to say to people against all reason and all logic, trust this man, God is in his life right now. And Paul was only who he was because Barnabas had been used by God to open the doors for him. And yet here was Paul, the 
who had benefited so much from grace and mercy and a second chance, and he was denying that to John Mark over something much less. I'm sure that in the back of Barnabas' mind, because I'm thinking on Barnabas' behalf and screaming, yell at him, tell him, who the heck are you? How can you act like this when you received so much grace and mercy? How can you do this to a young man? You did much worse than John Mark, and yet you sit in judgment over him. And my mind is raging with all these zingers I want to throw at, at Paul if I'm Barnabas. And yet Barnabas does not do that. He is showing as much grace and restraint to Paul as he is to John Mark. And because Barnabas exercised such restraint, what could have been a terrible and permanent division in the church didn't happen. While they couldn't come to an agreement, and this is important, they couldn't come to an agreement, but they did not burn the relationship and destroy the church over it. They both went on to continue in fruitful ministry as two separate teams. What Barnabas shows us through grace and restraint is that disagreement can be decisive without being destructive. In other words, you can stand your ground without scorching the earth. And that's something that is so important for us to learn today. No one's saying that we have to backpedal on our position or tell someone that all positions are valid and right. But you can stand your ground without scorching the earth. And this is especially important when we're dealing with fellow Christians. With people with whom we have no spiritual common ground, I can see that we can come to really um, uh, great odds with one another. But in the body of Christ, we can disagree without destroying relationships or the church. And lastly, I, I see that grace requires commitment. Paul was a very eloquent and intelligent man. He was a very compelling and persuasive speaker and writer. I'm sure that as he began to list the reasons to Barnabas, why it did not make any sense to give the second chance to John Mark. I'm sure Barnabas listening to Paul was like, you know, this this dude is making some really good points. And maybe I'm just swayed by the fact that this kid is my cousin and, you know, I, my, my sister's kid, I got to do something for him. I don't know what Barnabas was thinking, but I'm sure it was not easy to stand his ground and stay committed to showing grace and mercy to John Mark. Whenever we take the, the position of showing mercy to someone, of being gracious, lots of doubt, annoying questions, cross-examination, all those things will make us waver a little bit. Sometimes the person we're trying to show grace to will not look like they're deserving of it. They will act entitled or irresponsible. They will cause our confidence to waver. Even then, Barnabas continues to hold his position. Now listen, Barnabas wasn't in the ministry for glory or reputation. But it took commitment because when he parted company with Paul, he also completely left the spotlight. Barnabas is mentioned numerous times as a key figure in the church, but from this parting of company on, we never hear of Barnabas again for the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, all the focus shifts entirely to Paul's life and to those who accompanied Paul, what were surrounding Paul, and Barnabas, we don't read his name again at all in the story of the establishment of the early church. It cost Barnabas a great deal. He lost a great partnership over this. 
And even though it, there is clear historical evidence that they mended the relationship in some level, it was never going to be the same as it once was. They couldn't get the band back together for the glory days. For Barnabas to show grace to John Mark came with a high cost. And it takes commitment to be gracious to someone who needs a second chance. Let me end this way. We may not hear again about Barnabas, but we hear again about John Mark. And what we read about John Mark after this episode is actually very positive, and those positive comments come from the most unlikely source. If the Bible were Yelp, John Mark from this point on gets five stars from the, from the most unexpected customer, the Apostle Paul himself. In Philemon 24, Paul calls John Mark his co-worker. And in Colossians 4.10, we read that John Mark is with Paul, caring for him while he's in prison. These two accounts are written much after this incident when, when Barnabas and, and John Mark went their separate ways. And what that shows us is that even though they parted company here, it wasn't as if they crossed the street when they saw their other, other coming. They continued to be in communication, and John Mark was eventually reunited with Paul as a valued helper. Perhaps the most dramatic endorsement that comes from Paul is in 2 Timothy 4.11, which is interesting because Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. He was the young man in whom Paul had invested the most, hoped for the most from, and he's writing a letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, near the end of his life. And in this, this part of the letter, he's summoning Timothy to come to him because he's about to die. And here's what he writes. Only Luke is with me. So get Mark and bring him with you when you come because John Mark is helpful to me in my ministry. That's amazing. You know, when you're near the end of your life, you're not thinking about purpose and mission and accomplishments. You're very tender-hearted. You have a longing to be with the people your heart most wants to be with. And he summons Timothy, which is no surprise, but he mentions by name, bring John Mark with you. That young man was so helpful to me in my ministry. What's interesting is that Luke is mentioned as being with them. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and recorded this sharp division between Paul and Barnabas, he was also reading this letter to Timothy, and I'm sure he marveled, thinking to himself, how crazy it is to see how much Paul's view of John Mark had changed over the years. In many ways, the grace that Barnabas showed John Mark changed that young man's life. And in doing that, it changed not only John Mark, but it changed the Apostle Paul as well. My prayer is that we at Harvest would be more like Barnabas. We would be people who consistently make the choice to give grace to other people in the face of their failures, not because they've done better or earned it, but because we believe in a God who is a God of grace. And through that grace, God can change people. It's my prayer, Harvest, that we will be such people and God would change and restore broken lives through us as we give grace.
we're going to have a closing song. And after that song is over, I'll come back to give you the benediction. During that song, let the words be a prayer. And if you just need to make a commitment in your heart in this area of your life, I invite you to do that. So let's sing and pray and respond to God together. And in just a minute, I'll come back to dismiss us with a word of blessing. Everyone makes bad choices. Everyone fails. Everyone has regrets. But not everyone is restored. Grace is what makes the difference to bring beauty out of the ashes of failure. And it is how God brings beauty to our lives, how He restores us. It is also our privilege and calling to bring restoration and hope to others as we give grace. May this be our calling and our great privilege. And may we have a great testimony, as Barnabas did, of lives that are changed because we chose the path of mercy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.